Okay, good morning, everybody. Good to see everybody today, and I'm so glad that uh, we could be here to worship God together. Um, again, if I've not met you met yet, my name's Rollin. I'm the lead pastor here, and um, again, we're having lunch together, so <laughs> I hope to get to at least uh, speak to anyone that I do not know yet. And so with that in mind, uh, just wanted to say that we have been actually going through a series which I personally love because it's called The Good News According to Luke. It's called The Good News According to Luke, and it's about the gospel of Jesus Christ as expressed through a physician in uh, uh, Jesus' time, um, who is named Luke, who was a traveling companion of uh, the Apostle Paul. And he took the time to not only write the book of Acts, which is uh, the earliest history that we have of the church of Jesus Christ and what it looked like um, after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, but it also is the good news of Jesus and his biography that pre preceded that. And so Luke, as we know, was a class A historian. And so if any of you are history buffs, um, you'll be able to appreciate how Luke lays out this good news of Jesus and um, in a manner in which uh, that it's uh, consequential but also sequential so that we can like track his earthly life and ministry all the way up to the cross and his resurrection from the dead. And so um, we've been pressing through the gospel and today we're going to actually focus um, a little bit on the more on the works of God through Jesus. Um, but we're going to do that in terms of the uh, life that he brings us into together as we're serving him as Lord, okay? The life that he brings us into together as we're serving him as Lord. Because what we know is that God doesn't intend for any of us to do Christian life alone. How many people can say amen to that, okay? He doesn't intend for any of us to do Christian life alone. And we see that modeled and represented over and over again throughout the Bible. And I love that the Bible, when you're trying to read it, it's uh, two ways that you need to understand that uh, God is communicating to you. Number one, you're reading this scripture and you're seeing things that are descriptive, right? The Bible is just honest. And so it talks about even for the men and women of faith who were to be examples of how to live for Jesus, it's talking about things that they did that were both good in obedience to the Lord and also bad in disobedience to God. How many people know that that's part of the integrity of Scripture, is that we can see both the honesty of their good descriptions and their bad ones as well. But also there are other times where God's Word is prescriptive. Whenever you see the red letters <laughs> or whenever you see God saying, thus says the Lord, you know that God himself is giving us a picture of how things should be. But he also gives us a picture of the life that Jesus himself modeled for us, and that was what we are to model our lives after. Even as Ephesians 5.1 says, we should be imitators of God, right? So we're here today to worship the living God, and then as we open his word, learn how to be imitators of God as we go on in the purposes of God together. So our focus today is this, that as we serve the Lord, we will fulfill his vision as we commit to his mission together. Very simple. As we serve the Lord, we will fulfill not our own vision for our lives, but his vision as we commit to his mission together. And we're going to break the message down into three small parts. We're going to talk about our common Lord, number one. We're going to talk, secondly, about our common mission in Jesus Christ. And then finally, we're going to talk about the common grace that he gives to us all to accomplish that mission. So let's pray. 
Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today, and we thank you that you've given it to us, that we might not only know you and love you, but we might walk with you, Father, in our times, and see you move in our times, just as you did in Bible times. God, we thank you that you, Jesus, are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we're asking you that you would help us to engage you and encounter you as such today and always as we leave this place together in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so let's start by first talking about, number one, our common Lord. Our common Lord. And what we're going to talk about is that through the gospel of the kingdom, Jesus came to preach ultimately the gospel of the kingdom and his rulership and his authority, as we talked about last week, as it's being expressed in the earth. So we went, even when we pray, even as Jesus taught us to pray, Jesus said to pray like this, Lord, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as, as, it, as it is in heaven. And so what we're doing is when we're praying these things, when we're turning our sights to God, we're serving him as a common Lord. And Jesus, whenever he was in his earthly ministry, picking up in Luke chapter 8, we see his people who are beginning to be gathered around him in his teachings, following him along those lines. But he teaches them a parable in life of how to do this well. The things that you need to pay attention to, the things that you need to watch out for if you are going to actually serve this common Lord well together. And he says, starting in verse 1, Soon afterward, he, meaning Jesus, went on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the twelve, meaning the twelve apostles, were with him. And also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. That's interesting. And Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager. And Susanna, and many others who provided for them out of their means. And when a great crowd was gathering, and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot. And the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. But for others they are in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. But we're here to understand, right? So Jesus went on, and he said, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. So when God comes to introduce anything into your life, he does it through his word. He does it through his word. We've got to place a preeminent importance on God's word. He said, the seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. Everybody say, no root. They believe for a while, and in the time of testing, fall away. And as for what 
fell among thorns. They are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and bear fruit with patience. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but in on its stand, so that those who hear enter rather may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for the one who has more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks he has will be taken away. Okay. We took the time to go through that entire parable because whenever Jesus was ministering, he actually said to his disciples, if you don't understand this parable, how are you going to understand the others, right? He basically was saying, this is how life functions. First, what we see is that we, the people who were responding to the message of Jesus, they were responding to him as a common Lord, right? And I love the depiction that uh, you see at the beginning of Luke chapter 8 because you have people from all different types of backgrounds, right? You have the manager of Herod's household. You have um, a woman who had been delivered of multiple demons in her life. You have others who were the apostles hand-selected by Jesus, and they were a motley crew themselves. But we see that Jesus continually is pulling people together from all types of backgrounds, from different ethnic backgrounds, from different generational backgrounds, from different socioeconomic backgrounds. It doesn't matter what your experience is. It's like Jesus is the great leveler of it all. Because what we see is that Jesus came to deliver all humanity, which is under sin, from their sins, and ultimately bring them into the freedom that God has for their everyday lives. How many people can say amen to that? And so it doesn't matter where you're coming from. Ultimately, if you're going to come to God, you've got to come through the cross. You've got to come through the road of Calvary. You've got to come and ultimately meet Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection, which will ultimately transform whatever life you've been living up to this point into the life that God has for you. But when he calls you, he doesn't just call you to himself. That is a Western misnomer. A Western misnomer, especially in our culture, where everybody exalts the idea of independence. But what we see over and over again in the scripture is both descriptively and prescriptively, God calls us to serve the one Lord together. He calls us to serve the one Lord together. And it's important that we serve him together because ultimately together is how we avoid the traps of the parable of the sower and ultimately walk in the eternal purposes of God. Whenever you are a person who has received the word of God, of course, as the scripture says, the enemy would love to come and snatch away what was sown into your heart, whether it be today, some other day, or years past when your parents sowed the word into your life, by choking out the word of God because you don't understand it. And that's why the beauty of the church community is that even if you come in green, even if you come in fresh, there are people who've been walking with God, studying God's word, communicating with God year after year, living a faithful life, and can share with you how this life is actually lived out in God. That is the essence of discipleship. 
that you have people who teach you how to put into practice everything that God has commanded us. And isn't that good news? Whenever I was an early Christian, I did not grow up in church, and I thank God that I was inserted into a loving church community by which not only they shared the Word of God with me, but taught me how to put it into practice. And so eventually, as I was growing, eventually I became a husband. And they showed me, what does it mean to be a godly husband according to the word of God? I became a father. What does it mean to put the word of God into practice and actually raise your family in the fear and the knowledge of God? I actually was trying to answer a call of God. How do I do that by faith? Well, the community of God helps you to unpack that so you can actually serve God, the one common Lord, well. Secondly, though, we see that the issue is, is that it's not, just, it's not just that you don't understand it, but there's sometimes where we're trying to serve God, but we only limit our interaction with God to moments like these. And though this is great, let me tell you, this is important. Everybody knows church is important. Our generation needs to hear that. Church is important. The gathering together of the brethren is important. And he says that ultimately that we can provoke one another to love and good deeds every time that we come together to worship that one Lord. But if we only limit it to public settings like this, inevitably we don't have a root system. Inevitably we don't have a root system and a root system is what happens in the secret place. A root system is what happens when nobody else is looking and nobody else is around but God is. God's watching, God's listening, and God's ready to respond to the people of God as they dig their roots deep. If you notice any of the beautiful trees, even in our Lincoln Park area, it's, they're lasting for tens and um, even some of them decades upon decades because of the fact that not just because they sprang up in a moment, but they have a root system that went deep and enabled them to stand and weather even the Chicago winters and storms. And God wants the same for you. But how many people know sometimes it takes some encouragement from somebody other than yourself to dig those roots? Have you ever had the inclination to do what's right before God, but you specifically said, you know, I want to serve God, but I'm just not feeling it today. And you had to answer to another brother or sister who might have been an accountability partner or might have been somebody who's praying along with you for God to mature the word of God in your life. And because you knew ultimately you were going to share your fellowship, have a life with them and answer how you're growing in the Lord, it helped you to develop a root system long after you were in front of them or when you were without them. I tell you, I, I'm so glad for, I, I, I need that in my life. Even as a pastor, after multiple, multiple decades now of serving the Lord, I need that encouragement in my life, right? But then thirdly, there's also what? The worries of this life, the deceitfulness of riches and pleasures that come in and choke the word, causing it to be unfruitful. Now, we are people who have hearts that, are, again, are set, want to be set on God. But how many people know that Jeremiah said that the heart is deceitful? The heart is deceitful, and sometimes when you think that you're not being driven or the pursuits of your life are the worries, the riches, and the pleasures or the desire for other things, you can actually be, and you only see it when somebody is actually acting as a mirror to you. Has that ever happened to you before? When it's sort of like someone else's life 
in God was a mirror to me and actually helped me to see the very things that I was chasing after that might have been incongruent with the Word of God? Has anyone ever experienced that before? Well, I'm telling you, you can in a church community. I thank God for Pastor Cole because every single day that we talk, I'm provoked. Not to anger. <laughs> I'm provoked. I'm provoked to godliness and holy living. Because if you ever talk to Pastor Cole, one of the things, if you ask him how he's doing, what is the answer that you will get? That's right. You can all say it. It's just like Christ community culture. Better than I deserve, right? And it reminds me of the grace of God that I need to be cognizant of. It reminds me of this gospel that we're here preaching and holding out to people day after day. And it helps us to serve the common Lord together. We see that in how Jesus enabled his disciples to follow him. He wants, us for, he wants it for us today as well. He ultimately wants you to be a person who bears fruit for the kingdom of God 30, 60, and 100 times what was sown in you. That when you look at the New Testament, you can see some reflection of what your life looks like. Has anyone ever thought of that before? That the New Testament is not just extraordinary because it was the advent of the Christ, but it's also meant to be ordinary. It's meant to be normal Christianity for believers who follow Jesus. Normal Christianity. But it's together that we get there because God never intended it to be done alone. Number two, we serve a common vision. When Jesus is basically laying out his good news, he's giving us a common vision of what he wants his kingdom to look like. And he went on and said this in Luke chapter 8, verses 19 through 25 were brought together by Jesus to fulfill his common vision. Then his mother and his brothers came to him in the middle of Jesus ministering to the crowds, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear once again the what? The Word of God, right? So once again, the Word of God is our barometer, it's our standard, it's our signpost, it's our guide, right? So he's saying, what you see in this Word, I want you to do it. What you see in this Word, I want it to be reflective in your life. He said, my mother and brothers are those who hear the Word of God and what? Do it. So Jesus was ultimately saying, those who belong to me, those that I call my own, those that I, I myself identify with, Jesus said, are not just those who call upon my name. Because we know that because Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? I'll tell you what it's going to be like for you on that day of judgment. He said, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we work miracles in your name? And didn't we drive out demons in your name? And he said, I'm going to tell them plainly, away from me, you evildoer, I never knew you. Because we can be in a spiritual culture or an environment, but if we don't serve the Lord in obedience together, God will say he never knew us. And Jesus is looking to identify with people who don't just say he's Lord only nominally off of their lips, 
but he's looking for a community of people. This is his vision, a community of worshipers who are actually doing his word together. A community of worshipers who see the New Testament and say, this is our standard. This is my plumb line. This is my guide. This is that which God himself is shooting for in and through my life. And the vision is how we serve the Lord. But Jesus said, my mother and my brothers are those who hear it and put it into practice. Hear it and do it. Make it their ambition to do so. And the truth of the matter is, is that after the pandemic, it's hard to think that way because we almost atrophied a little bit in our relational muscles. Has anybody gone back into the workplace? I know we're in hybrid models right now, but has anyone gone back to the workplace and found it a little bit strange to actually interact with a real human? You know, I'm talking about besides your family, right? It's sort of like it's, it's, you've got to learn those relational skills again. Or if you're in school, right? I feel for some of you who are upperclassmen right now and your first one or two years were spent online. How many people could say amen to that? And so you feel like even though it's your junior year, you're just in your freshman year of experience, right? And you're having to learn again what it means to serve God with other people, even in the church, by actually intentionally interacting, as Jesus said to. Not just by myself, but putting his word into practice with others who also are committed to that cause. But let me give you three little tips about how to do that well, okay? Let me give you three little tips. You can think about this later. We can talk about it over lunch, and we can do this well together. Part of why we can't get past the actual idea of doing the commandments or the word of God together is because we fail to do these three things. Number one, if you want good relationships, you need not to overinflate your personal story as compared to others, making your experience or circumstances seem like more or less than it actually is. How many people know that whenever you're trying to build relationship with people to do the will of God together, if the cross is a great leveler, everybody's got experience, everybody's got history, everybody's got baggage. And if you're continually talking about overinflating, you know I mean, the experiences that you have or diminishing them so you don't ever share anything with somebody else, then ultimately you're not going to be able to cross that bridge to be able to build the relationships that God intends for you. The second part, here's a quick key, is don't be myopic. See, these are all scripturally, you can write those scriptures down and look at it later. Don't be myopic, meaning you are not the center of the world. Jesus is, amen? You are not the center of the universe or existence, and if you only relate with people as if you are the center of the world, your relationships will be limited. If you never ask anyone else a question about how they're doing, what's their experience like? What are their thoughts towards things? What can they share with you about God, his goodness, and his purposes? Then ultimately there'll be a barrier there, right? But has anyone ever been in a conversation before where it's like 10 minutes straight, somebody was just talking, 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 and then they were like, okay, good seeing you, <laughs> right? and just left and they'd never asked you anything about you? How many people know that's a death blow to relationship? 
Because next time they see you, they'll be like, yeah, brother, I know you're good. <laughs> I heard it in the past hour last time, right? And the third thing, let me say this, the third thing, and this is what we can practice today, today, even at the lunch, is you need to make the first move to be kind. Make the first move to be kind. Show honor and be a blessing rather than just trying to be blessed by somebody else. Make the first move. In Proverbs, he says, a friendly man or woman must show themselves friendly. If you want friends, be a friend. Flex that muscle again and get past the relational divide so that we can be mothers, brothers, fathers, sisters to one another and actually do the will of God together. How many people would like family like that? He's giving you some keys. Let me tell you what C.S. Lewis said. C.S. Lewis actually said in The Four Loves, we can actually put up the pictures um, that I enlisted, okay? Everybody wants their life to look like this stock photo. <laughs> right? Or the next one, right? Thinking that you're at North Avenue Beach together, right? Having babies, all you young people having families, right? Our kids are growing up together. We're taking selfies all the live long day. But how do you get there? You get there by doing the things that the scripture talks about and committing to the things of God together. But some of us make having friends our end goal and not the kingdom of God our goal together. And so you come into a setting of worship looking for belonging, and belonging is important. Understand that. When we give our lives to Christ, that's the good news. He adopts us as sons and daughters of the king, right? And so belonging is important. But if you only make belonging your end goal, it's become idolatrous. And you fail to understand the very reason that Christ has brought you to himself so that we can serve the common Lord and his common vision together. And this is what C.S. Lewis said. He said, the very condition of having friends is that we should want something else besides friends. Where the truthful answer to the question, do you see the same truth, would be, I see nothing and I don't care about the truth. I only want a friend. No friendship can arise, though affection, of course, may. There would be nothing for the friendship to be about. And friendship must be about something, even if it were only an enthusiasm for dominoes or white mice. Those who have nothing can share nothing. And those who are going nowhere can have no fellow travelers. And what Jesus was doing is bringing us to himself as the common Lord. Number two, giving us a common vision. And then ultimately saying, you're going to be brothers and sisters of family who goes into this common vision together to accomplish not your will, but my will in the earth. And you'll be fellow travelers to ultimately bring out God's kingdom vision. And that's the third point where we'll end. We ultimately understand that by God's common grace. We accomplish Christ's kingdom vision when we are on mission together. I, I don't have time to go through it all, but I encourage you to do so. Luke chapter 8, verse 26 through 56, Jesus and his disciples are going together and they're going through the different towns proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And one encounter, he, ha he encounters the man with the legion of demons, right? Remember that story? where the man couldn't ever, he was driven out into isolation, which is an interesting point. 
He was driven out by the demonic activity in his life into isolation, and he was actually involved in self-harm, continually cutting himself, and no, nobody was able to bind him or chain him anymore. But when Jesus showed up on the scene, he actually said, hey, listen, you've lost your identity. What's your name? What's your name? And he, he wasn't even able, because of all the demonic activity and isolation in his life, he wasn't able to proclaim a name that maybe his parents had given him, but he said, We're, uh, I'm legion for we are many. Does anybody remember this story? I need you to go back and read this. So in isolation, the demonic was harassing him, oppressing him, and he says, I'm identifying by all the lies that I'm being told now rather than the truth and the grace of God towards me. But when Jesus shows up, the good news is he comes to set that man free. He comes to set that man free, and he says, hey, listen, listen, you unclean spirits come out of that man. And let me, let me tell you, this is important to understand. He said spirits, plural. Because legion had to do with a military force, like a battalion. So that was how much was going on in this man. And he says, come out of this man and go into those pigs. The pigs jumped off the cliff, right, after entering, after the demons entered them, showing what they were trying to do to that man. And then ultimately, this man was so thankful and so grateful, he came back and expressed thankfulness for the grace of God and wanted to be with Jesus wherever he went. But you know what Jesus said? He said, no, I want you to go back into the Decapolis, which meant the 10 cities, and tell everyone how much God has done for you. Go back and tell them how much God has done for you. And when he did that, ultimately, it set the groundwork for revival in that place because Jesus would enter there, that, that region of 10 cities, and do some of his greatest miracles there. But the disciples who were actually able to participate in that were never doing it alone. They were doing it together. You see, even when this man wanted to only be with Jesus, he sent him back and said, I need you to immediately engage others. Engage others with this good news and engage them with the grace that I've shown you. So that the same grace that I've given you, you'll be able to show others because of the good news of Jesus expressed towards you. But how many people know we need some support to do that well? Has anyone ever tried to even lovingly take a stand for Jesus in your workplace? Be a witness for Jesus in your neighborhood? Let's make it even a little closer to home, in your own family, when your family is not yet serving the Lord. How many people know that even if you don't have that common bond because of the people you're naturally around, because God's given you mothers, brothers, fathers, sisters in the kingdom of God who are also doing the word of God together, when you go into the workplace to proclaim the testimony of God, you're thinking about the men and women who are backing you up in a place like this. And so as soon as you leave this place, you're able to say, hey, listen, I got to finally talk to my boss. Hard-headed man as he is. And I got to share with him the good news of what Jesus said. I didn't even preach to, you know, fire, hellfire and brimstone to him. I just told him that God healed my heart. My marriage was falling apart, but God healed it. And that God is able to do the same for him. I just testified to him. And you know what? He didn't get on his knees and give his life to Jesus in the moment, but he was intrigued. He was intrigued and he said, 
what, is, what meaneth this? What meaneth this? Uh, we can talk again. And you didn't, know, you didn't have the words to say to him in that moment because you had to get back to work. They were paying you to do a job, right? But you are immediately able to go back to a brother or sister who sits on the right or the left here in this place and text and say, hey, I need you to pray for my boss with me. Anybody ever do something like that before? Listen, okay, let me give you a testimony. This is how I'm going to end. Let me tell you, I love preaching this gospel. Is it evident? Okay, love preaching this gospel, the good news of Jesus. But we just came back this past um, um, week from um, Madison, Wisconsin, where we're doing our ongoing outreach to get ministry started in that place, right? And God is setting up divine encounters, divine encounters. One of the um, weeks that we went a couple months ago, we met a man, Sarah Baker, Chris Gillespie, and the troop. They met a young man named Jay. Jay had just recently given his life to the Lord, and Jay, you know, was just trying to figure things out, mostly by the internet. We said, hey, listen, there's something better than that. <laughs> you know what I mean? But we got him to introduce to a man named Jeremiah. Jeremiah, raise your hand, baby. <laughs> okay? Yeah, Jeremiah was on that trip too. Jeremiah said, hey, listen, I can do this one-to-one -one Bible study with you. Before, Has anyone heard of the one-to-one -one before? Okay, over the phone from a three-hour distance, week, day after day, week after week, Jeremiah started ministering and discipling this young man who Sarah and Krista had invited him, um, invited and introduced him to. He was getting further and further into the work. So the next time we got back to Madison, Jay said, hey, listen, I want to introduce you to some of our friends. What happened then? Another man came, one of Jay's friends, who'd recently been divorced. He was a businessman in the area, but he had grown up around the church, not never, ever really getting right with God, but we got to share the good news of Jesus with him because Jeremiah had been ministering to him. Jay invited his friend and then all of a sudden this man is hearing the gospel and that man in the moment gave his life to Jesus. Good news, right? Now we went back again. Okay? We went, that's right. We went back again and we started ministering. Did we see Jay that time? No. Jay had something going on with his eye. You know what I mean? Did we, you know, did we see Greg? I don't know. Listen, we have a text message out to him. I'm going to harass him until he comes. And the point is, is that we started ministering to others who were in the area. And one man was a young man, young, young strong, strapping, former football player, looked like a good-looking frat dude, right? Looked like he had it all together, right? So I went up to him. I said, hey, man, how you doing? You know, he's like, I'm doing all right, man. You know, I was like, okay, well, good. Well, I'm here because we're on the mission of Jesus together, and we're here to talk to you about him. And then all of a sudden, he started pouring out his life to me. I don't know him. He doesn't know me, but God does. And so all of a sudden, he starts talking about how this moment was a moment of intervention. Because he had been contemplating for weeks on end, suicide, sitting by the lake. His life was falling apart. He had it all together in his academic life, but his life personally was falling apart, thinking about suicide. He said, because you've come proclaiming this gospel today, I feel like this is intervention. And so though you're going back to Chicago, I know a friend. I know a friend who actually goes to a Bible study. I'm going to go with him tomorrow and figure out what I need to do to put this word into practice. Good news! Right? You see these domino effects? There was another man. One more story. Can I tell you one more? 
could tell you stories all day. One more story. Another young man. I was called. I said, listen, I had to catch my bus home. I didn't drive there. I rode the bus. And so the thing is, I was kind of get the bus. I was about to leave. I said, we could talk to one more person. One more person. And I thank God for Sarah Baker because she always calls me to let me know when my bus is leaving. <laughs> you know, so, so I could actually get home. Thank you, Sarah Baker. I wouldn't be with you today. But the point is, is that I talked to this young man, sat down with him. He ended up being an international student from China his freshman year. Did not grow up around the gospel. Did not grow up around the things of God. But we sat down and started talking. I heard his story. And as he um, shared his story, he told me, listen, I didn't grow up in the church, but I had a high school teacher who was Christian. We got any teachers in the house? Let me hear this now. I had a high school teacher who actually was a Christian. And she kept inviting me to her stuff. I didn't understand it. It was Christian, but I liked it. I liked it. And before I came to America, before I came to America, she told me something. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, she was prophesying. <laughs> she told me something. She said, when you get to America, you are going to meet a man who is going to explain this gospel to you, explain everything to you, and help put your broken life back into order. Vaya con Dios. How many people know that's like a Bible story? So whenever I showed up talking to this man about the gospel, he was like, click. The light came on. He was starting to say, wait a minute. What, what did you say that was? The one-to-one? The one-to-one's going worldwide, baby. It's like the one-to-one. He downloaded it, started introducing me to his friend who just showed up, and he said, listen, I'm looking forward to my life being put back together by God. Isn't that good news? But do you see, it is us doing it together. One woman working with another woman, working with another man who had been reached by Jesus, who then begins to call in another friend who doesn't know the Lord, and that he begins to testify, just like in Bible times. And on and on and on the scripture goes that God's work continues in our time, just like in gospel times. Amen? That is the good news that we share together when we commit to a common Lord, a common vision, and honestly, just soak up, love it, the common grace that God's shown us all in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. All right, we're going to have lunch and we're going to enjoy this together. All right? Let's give, let's rise on our feet and praise the Lord. God, I thank you for every young man and young woman, every old man and old woman in here today. I thank you that regardless of where they've been before this point, that, God, you want to bring them under the common lordship of Jesus Christ. That, God, there's no one in this place that you want to be without the life of God, to have an eternity separated from you in hell. You came, Jesus, and lived this sinless life that we should have lived. And on that cross died the sacrificial death that we should have died in our place. And three days later, according to your word, you rose from the dead so that we could have not only forgiveness of sins, but new and eternal life in you. And God, I'm asking you that every man and woman in here would receive that gift that they haven't received it yet today. And I want to pray, is there anyone at all who says, just focus on God right now. This is a moment of worship and prayer. Is there anyone at all who says, you know what? I've been around the things of God before, but I've never submitted my life to the living God. 
I've been around the things of God, but I've never really been transformed by God because my will and my heart have never been His. But you say, today I want to make this my moment. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Is there anyone at all who says, I want to be like that man? This might be your moment of intervention, just like it was for that man that we were talking about today. Anyone at all? Well, Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit would convict of sin, righteousness, and the judgment to come. And that God, as we come to you in not only faith, but a holy repentance, that we'd be able to turn away from everything that the Bible calls sin and leads to death and ultimately be transformed by your word and your spirit. And for everyone else, I'm just saying, listen, this is your moment. This is your moment to be united to a community of faith by which you can be established and grow together under the one Lord fulfilling his common vision by his common grace to us all. And if there's anyone in here who says, basically, you know what, I've, I've tried to do this walk with God on my own for far too long, but I just need help in breaking down the inhibitions in my heart that keep people at arm's length from me. If that's you, I want to pray for you as well, that the barriers that you have relationally with even not just God, but the people of God might actually come down, that you might come from the outside in. If that's you and you want prayer today for that, I would like you to raise your hand. Okay, anyone else? Okay, this is common, more common than you realize. More common than you realize. But the beauty of moments like these is we're in good company and God comes to heal our hearts. And God, I pray that you would heal every man and woman's heart who's raised their hand from past hurts of rejection. God, from past hurts of isolation, from past hurts of violation even that have kept them at arm's length from you and others. God, we're praying that you would break down the walls by the Holy Spirit and let there be an overwhelming flood of love. Love from the throne of God and love between brothers and sisters that really calls them from the outside in. That we might actually be the people of God doing the things of God together, not only in holy fear, but a holy grace and faith. God, I speak grace, grace over every man and woman's heart today. In Jesus' name, amen.